Hey everybody, it is uh, Friday. What is today? June 10th, June 11th. It's June 11th and uh, the days are just flying by here. We uh, have a pretty busy week um, this this past week. Um, some big changes happening um, in Florida. Ron DeSantis uh, passed a ban in public schools of uh, critical race theory. Um this is uh, a, an interesting development, and you know, there's a question here that I don't think is an easy question, right? I mean, in an ideal world, you want uh, no government involvement whatsoever, and so for libertarians, you know, and, and anarchists and anarcho-capitalist, the challenge becomes how do we get to this kind of ideal world where there is no um, monopoly on violence, there is as little coercion as possible, and the coercion that does exist is between private parties only. It's not, you know, at no point is it someone that claims to have ultimate authority, Um, you know, because of course we will never see a world without any injustice, you know, that's just not... um, it's just not possible. So the idea that, well, government can build a system and then there won't be injustices, that's the promise that is impossible. You know, that, that, that outlook, that uh, conclusion, if anybody ever tells you that, and a lot of politicians will, a lot of elected politicians will at the highest levels, they'll say, if government just had its way, we would be able to solve the world's problems. And, uh, and that's a lie. Um, there will always be injustices and new things to solve. And, uh, and so I think the outlook for libertarians and especially kind of red-pilled libertarians is, um, it, you know, and so largely, um, I guess, right-leaning, if you were to, to say that, uh, libertarians as opposed to the kind of civil rights libertarians on the left – because, you know, libertarianism is kind of divided, right? There's uh, kind of the right side of that, which is basically f- open mar- free markets, uh, end of story. And there's the left side of that, which is a little bit more oriented around civil rights and, you know, how we can uh, create a world that gives the same rights to everyone. And so that's where you'll start to see libertarians or self-claimed libertarians start to talk about trans rights being, you know, an important issue. Um, which, of course, I, they, they are, I guess, compared to certain things. But compared to the battles that decentralized, uh, that a decentralized world, decentralized power, compared to the battles ahead, who gives a shit about you know, the 0.001% of the population that is uh, mildly inconvenienced by small things, you know. And even then, we've already spent a disproportionate amount of time on this this tiny uh, segment of the population. So the idea that we ought to burn, you know, another 20 or 25% of our political power on that it's just wasteful. It's just wasteful of the message of liberty to be spending it on something like that. It's much, much more impactful if we can spend that on uh, things that are 
actually pushing back on the threats that are moving in on things. And um, one of those is critical race theory. The, I, I'm, I'm shocked to see uh, a, a lot of people, a lot of Republicans um, in the middle of the country becoming familiar with the term critical race theory. You know, I, I was of the opinion that, you know, the easiest way to kind of sum this up would be to describe it as the woke shit. Um, and I think people tend to understand what that is more quickly. But it's the same concept. And the fact that critical race theory, as I'm speaking right now, is trending on Twitter on this Friday, um, speaks to the fact that this is a term that is coming into a public discourse right now. Um, and there's a lot of pushback happening. And, you know, libertarians get to this point where Ron DeSantis comes in in Florida as, as governor and says, we don't want this curriculum teaching kids that some races are inherently better than others just because they're that race. And, you know, which is like, again... You almost can't believe we're having this discussion because <laughs> it's so flipped on its head from where we were even just a few years ago, where the left was in particular. But um, but the right has really just accommodated. It's just opened the doors to a lot of this stuff before they were aware what they were doing. And, um, and so, um, you know, you end up with Ron DeSantis making moves like this. And, of course, you know, we're dealing with public schools in the first place, right? So this is – we're in kind of this gray area of the government isn't really technically coercing any more than it was before, you know, because this is something that applies to the coercion that was already in place. Um, this is not something that applies to private schools. Of course, it wasn't really as much of an issue in any private schools because the parents care a lot more about their kids' education there. Um, but, you know, we're, we're basically at this point where a lot of pure libertarians will come in and say, this is the wrong solution. And I'm sympathetic to that. You know, like it makes sense to push back against any dictates by government, by any politician in power. You know, is there any group of people that is more anti-politician than libertarians? No, there's not. That's That's pretty much... Um, I should say small L libertarians at the very least, uh, maybe not the party, um, although that's changing too. But as of right now, I think, you know, that is a group that is pretty ideologically consistent. So the accusations that any, you know, libertarian oriented people would be celebrating government taking more power, I think are ill-founded because they misrepresent the reality here and the reality is governments already run these schools and the best solution would be to abolish those schools right we're in agreement on that now maybe option two three four five could be uh we need to fix some of the obvious problems that are inside these schools and that can be a good thing too it's not a great thing but it can be a good thing, and it definitely helps. Um, you know, I think the biggest damage that comes from something like what DeSantis is doing with public schools is that it creates 
a uh, framework for a lot more of a fierce public debate about these things and kind of has that Trump effect, right, where people start to turn against an idea just because of who is on one side or the other. And it kind of poisons the minds of, you know, the the average person into thinking, oh, well, that thing is good because I know this person who's on that side. And this idea must be bad because I've heard of this person who's on that side. And, um, you know, you end up with this, this weird world in which the definitions of things start to f- totally flip on their head because of who is involved in something. And, you know, this, this idea of, um, of, of what's cool at the time ends up winning over large segments of the population because, you know, they're a cool Democrat or whatever. And, uh, and then you have, you know, a good amount of political support that just kind of swings whatever direction is, um, is, uh, is kind of, you know, those politicians are leaning right now. So you end up with this world that's kind of topsy-turvy and nothing makes sense. And, and so I think as anarchists um, and anarcho-capitalists, we have to see two paths here. Um, the ultimate path is decentralization of everything, right? There's no way that a federal government should be running anything, it, anything, at least of all the schools that children go to. You know, these are, um, you know, Michael Malice says these are prisons for children and the only place that they'll experience violence in their lifetimes, for many of them, um, they are really, really tragic. I mean, they, they, they look like prisons. They have, uh, guns and they have, uh, drugs and they have lots of other things that are all, you know, banned from the premises. Of course, they make their way in, in the worst ways possible. Um, things that are not allowed to be talked about and the things that have to be paid lip service, you know? So like you do end up putting a child through 12 years in the United States, 12 years of this indoctrination of here's how the world works. You have to go please all of your teachers and the administrators, you know, most of which are people who are probably the lower 50% of the population in terms of intellect and, you know, whether they deserve any respect in the first place. But forcing children to be subservient to that level of person for 12 years is a pretty terrible thing to do. So I I think that's the case that people like Corey DeAngelis have been making about charter schools. And even though some things might make more sense ultimately, you know, homeschools make a lot of sense, I think. Um, But charter schools are a pretty big step. And they're clearly a way that the general public can get behind the idea of decentralization, removing some of the concentrated power of the state that's been accumulated over decades and decades, and uh, starting to break that down. So that's largely what I think Ron DeSantis has done with this critical race theory ban um, in, in public schools. And uh, he's, he's uh, you know, taking the full... Uh, pressure of the corporate press, which is the enemy of the people, um, because he has stood up for this. 
And, um, and you know what? That's great because, as I mentioned, critical race theory is a term I would never expect your average person to pick up, and now they're aware of it. It's on their radar. Um, in the middle of the country, I have seen lawn signs that say, get critical race theory out of schools. Lawn signs, people putting this in their lawn where you would, you know, you used to put a Trump sign or you used to put a a Biden sign, probably none of these houses. Um, But now there are actual, I mean, it's at the level where it's, it's, it's a bumper sticker almost, you know, you have an awareness that has reached the kind of, you know, for lack of a better word, lowest common denominator and uh, and critical race theory is now a term that is that people are aware of. So um, I actually think this is a huge development for society. I wouldn't even a few months ago, I couldn't have possibly predicted we'd be where we are right now with with regards to that term. So I really see a escalation in in um, in the pushback to uh, to wokeism, wokeness, um, the woke shit and critical race theory. And, uh, that is a really encouraging thing. Now, you know, looking ahead, I think you will see the battle lines start to form a little bit more in much the same way as they have already politically, you know, and they're, they're ever concentrating. And you know what? That's a great thing because where we're headed is secession. We've talked about that before in this podcast, this is all leading us up to at least two distinct cultures that exist. Um, you know, I, I don't know what it would look like. Uh, I think there's a lot of uh, opportunity there to go different ways. But there's no reason that I should have to share a rule system with somebody that believes uh, a total opposite of what I believe. You know, there's no reason for that. There's enough people in the world that share our perspective that we should be able to voluntarily choose the people that we associate with, that we have rule systems with. In an internet age, it's even easier. Um, there's clearly an ability to, um, you know, with everyone has having a cell phone in hand, there's clearly the ability to break the geographic constraints that used to exist with countries. You know, where you needed to be in a, uh, you know, certain legal system, for instance, in order to operate. You know, and now we're kind of in a system where you could very easily have a uh, decentralized digital identity. And this is where we're headed, by the way. But you could have a decentralized digital identity. It would function largely the same way as you know, when a tourist from one country visits another country. And sure, you might go to some other state or some other neighborhood where something is illegal or something, you know, whatever. They have their, their local rules there. This isn't to say there isn't, it's, it, you know, an anarchist world is one without rules. It just means the rules are not set by um, some federal or state government. It's set by, you know, at a community level and there is a choice by the individual, this is something that maximizes choice. You know, there is no, uh, there's no argument that no rules is the way we should go. There's only the argument that we need to remove the monopoly on violence that the state has 
and um, and that you know the the cities and uh, and counties have to destroy lives by this, you know, without any choice for those residents to be able to uh, to um, to leave or to choose some alternative. So I, I, we're going to be figuring out, I think, what that looks like in the coming years. Um, that's really where I think the promise of Bitcoin and a lot of of uh, of crypto is headed. Um, I see Bitcoin specifically because it's the one that's truly decentralized and its power comes from the number of people who will be using it and realizing that, you know, this solves the number one problem. Bitcoin solves the number one problem that fiat currencies have. And, you know, make no mistake, on its surface, Bitcoin is a fiat currency, right? It's, it's just a bunch of numbers. That's always the criticism is, well, you can't really do anything with it. You know, what are you, it doesn't really have that much value as a commodity, let's say. And okay, but neither does cash. So, you know, there you, you, you can cancel that one out because, you know, the, uh, either we're talking about the US dollar or we're talking about Bitcoin. Both of those are in that category. So then what? What's the problem with fiat? Well, the problem with fiat is that it's not backed by anything. It's, it's backed in theory by the full faith and uh, what's, what's the phrase? the full faith and credit of the United States government. But they, they print things constantly. You know, the value of a dollar, a um, hundred years ago, you could buy a house for $1,000. And it's increased now to the point where, you know, if you're not making half a million dollars in, uh, in a big city, it's going to be difficult for you to actually buy uh, property, you know, you need to have an insane amount of money to be able to do very basic things. And uh, it's because the value of the dollar and of everyone who has saved, I mean, just imagine that, you know, your, your $10,000 in your bank account just loses 3% a year in perpetuity. And then some years, you know, they just announced this year 5 5% is where we are so far from May last year to May this year. So just the act of saving during a pandemic, just the act of saving is subject to a 5% tax. And that 5% is because they have printed up new money to pay for other things that they want to pay for. And now there's way more money in circulation. So you've effectively lost 5% of your money, one twentieth of your money, just by saving it, um, that is really egregious, and uh, Bitcoin solves that. You, you know, you can argue that there are other cryptocurrencies um, that could solve that also. I'm a little skeptical of how that would work with something like Ethereum because it's controlled by um, so few people, and you know, you do in theory have the ability to inflate certain things. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong. Um, at down wokeness on Twitter, if uh, if any of this I'm, I'm saying is incorrect, but I don't think it is. Um, and so you know, you could see a world in which the government embraces something like Ethereum, that is you know probably the biggest competitor right now to Bitcoin because it's you know the big thing now is energy use because people are saying Bitcoin you know uses too much energy, 
And, um, and you know, the reason for that, it, it, it does use more energy, although it's far better than any alternative that's ever existed in human history. It's far better than gold. Gold mining, you know, that uses up a lot of energy, far, far, far more than Bitcoin, you know, transacting a, an exchange of Bitcoin ever could. Um, but, you know, the argument is Bitcoin uses more energy than Ethereum, and that's because it's decentralized. So the transaction itself takes more processing power in order to verify because there's not some central entity that is essentially signing off on the transaction. And that's the whole idea. You don't want any central network to be the one that's signing off on the transaction. The whole idea is for this to be a decentralized world that isn't susceptible to government coming in and, uh, and, and trying to inflate that currency, which is why they still don't get the real threat of Bitcoin. That's the threat of Bitcoin, is it renders the printing presses for dollars and other currencies in other countries. It renders them totally ineffective. Um, best case scenario, it creates a uh, pressure that makes those governments responsible, and that's assuming those fiat currencies continue to exist, well, now you can't inflate to the level that you would because everyone's going to see, this is weird, the dollar's value has just been being drained for years and years and years, I guess I'm going to put my money in Bitcoin, right? So there's a pretty strong incentive then to stop printing uh, dollars at that point. So at the very least, Bitcoin solves that. Um, and we're at that point right now. We're at the beginning stages of that point. The other thing is, uh, is that Bitcoin potentially can be even bigger than that. And that is the reserve currency for the world. And we start seeing something in which, you know, Bitcoin um, derives its stability from something far bigger than any one country saying we're the world's reserve currency. You know, imagine if the United States government uh, was a million, uh, sorry, a billion people holding Bitcoin instead of the, what's the population of the United States? 320 million people. You end up with far more stability with more people owning a decentralized currency and everyone having the same incentive to try to uh, keep the value of that decentralized currency, you end up with this world in which government is no longer needed for that. And we have this debate, which I think a lot of libertarians think is kind of stale and boring, but it's the same end the Fed argument that Ron Paul brought years ago, um, just in a different form. And now it's kind of making this uh, transparent for your average person. Because we are going to see over the next several years, several of these massive Bitcoin surges. And it's going to be framed as Bitcoin um, becoming way more valuable than it's actually worth. But the reality is people will be measuring its worth against the dollar. So we already have seen in the last two years Bitcoin gain, even, even in the midst of a dip that Bitcoin's in right now, it's at 36,000 or so right now, um, we have seen a growth of 
what is this? At least double from the last peak, which was just uh, three and a half years ago. So um, that's pretty bit, you know, doubling the value in three and a half years. You know, that's one administration. And, you know, you think about how much money the Trump administration was spending, which was a lot. And, um, and now you think about, you know, the, this current administration saying, well, now we have to spend our way out of this pandemic. We need a $2 trillion bill. Now we need a $6 trillion bill. Now we, you know, like we're just going to keep seeing those dollars that have to be printed. And, uh, and, and so it's inevitable that Bitcoin is going to continue to go up. Um, this is not financial advice, but I will say personally, I have put a lot of my money into Bitcoin right now. It's something I firmly believe is the future. And uh, either it undermines the power of the government or it'll make me rich at some point. You know, and that's where I stand. This is something I plan to hold for uh, several years at the very earliest. This is not something that I'll be cashing out next, you know, at, in, uh, at the end of the year to buy Christmas gifts. This is going to be something that I hold for years. Um, and potentially more than that, because this is something that cannot be controlled by government. And the more people come on board with that idea, the more government is undermined. And at some point, I think there's a battle too. You know, I think there's a very high likelihood that we talk about um, governments banning Bitcoin, which is why, you know, the next stage of this is important, which is, you know, you need to make sure that your Bitcoin is secure when that time comes and not be on these kind of exchanges like Coinbase that where you don't really have the money in your personal account. This is something that is actually controlled by Coinbase and they just reveal to you how much they're holding on your behalf. Um, that's the point where you need to have a solution like a hardware wallet um, or even a paper wallet where you and only you have that unique key to be able to actually access your funds and you can just have it sit there untouched by anyone, um, mathematically secure. And uh, as long as you don't reveal that seed phrase that grants access because of the, uh, the unique key to get in, as long as you don't reveal that, that money will always exist on the blockchain. It'll always exist and it, it'll be backed by the full faith and credit of the millions of people, billions of people who own Bitcoin. Uh, so that's it for this episode. Just wanted to kind of talk about critical race theory. Also talk about how um, Bitcoin, I think, is the start of really undermining the power of the government. But for the time being, I think it's really good that there are people within the government that are pushing back on these things and forcing a lot of the average people to think about things like critical race theory, which have flown under the radar for decades. And now we actually have some pushback and some ability for people who haven't been aware of what's going on to actually say, hey, wait a second. No, this, this is something that we need to discuss or that I don't agree with and that I don't want to support um, at my kid's school or, uh, or wherever I work um, in government or private industry. That's all a very good thing. All right, that's it for this episode. Thanks for listening. Follow at DownWokeness on Twitter. Got a couple suspensions there. Um, 
But, you know, we're staying alive. So uh, if we have a, a shift to another account at some point, I will let you know. That's it for this episode. Thanks so much for listening.